Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are at the Principles of Performance podcast. I'm your host, Eric Degatti, along with my friend and co-host, Mike Perry. Mike, welcome to episode number 73. 73? Gosh, man, we've done a lot of these. It's uh, It's been fun, man. It's been fun. But we uh, we have a pretty awesome guest today. So I don't want to steal your thunder, Eric. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and let you introduce today's guest. Yeah. So we have Dr. Lisa Thompson. She's a board certified doctor of chiropractic in the greater LA area. And she's the immediate past president uh, president of the California Chiropractic Association. Um, she's got extensive knowledge in treating pain-related conditions and has helped thousands of people get out of pain. Um, her true passion, though, is sports performance, and we're going to dive pretty deep into that. And, you know, she's got a pretty extensive knowledge of human biomechanics and functional movement, and she's kind of considered an expert in the field. That's why I wanted to get her on here, and she speaks at events all over the country. Um, she's a, she's uh, an upstate New York native, uh, fellow Giant fan. Uh, do you guys still have a team in New England, Mike? Um I wasn't sure. Sorry, it's it's kept the franchise going. It's cut, the Giants with three cut, games. It's it's cutting out a little bit, guys. It's cutting out a little bit. Sorry, I gotta I, I gotta take this. What? I can't hear you. All right. So, but uh, she graduated from uh, State University in New York at Plattsburgh, and then she was a member of Omicron Delta Kappa National Leadership Honor Society there, and she was in the who's who of American colleges university list, and she was also the captain of the women's soccer team there. Uh, she also graduated from Palmer College uh, of Chiropractic, and upon graduating, she kind of picked up, moved out to Cali, and now she's she's doing her thing out there, and we're happy to have her on the show. Welcome, Dr. Thompson. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so we're going to dive right in. So uh, tell us a little bit about your journey from traditional chiropractic and then the evolution of being a uh, self-proclaimed movement nerd. Yeah, of course. So... When I first drove out to California, I ended up opening my own practice. Uh, I, I, a space came of, became available in the family and asked if I wanted to rent it out. I said, sure. So open my own practice. I didn't know what I didn't know. So it was a little bit overwhelming at first and was working my butt. I thought if you just opened the doors, then people would come in and it'd be super successful because I'm a good person and I'm a good chiropractor. And that's not how businesses work, unfortunately. So uh, I was just d daily grind. And then I started to take some classes on movement, stuff that we weren't really taught in chiropractic school, uh, like the SFMA stuff and TPI. And uh, it really just changed my perspective on how I, was, how I was treating patients, what I was looking at. There was so many patients that I was like, man, I've been missing a lot of things. I'm treating the low back pain, but I'm not looking at everything else and how everything else moves. And the, that like chronic low back pain patient, the like golfer that keeps coming in with the back 
pain. It's like we could treat it and treat it. They're feeling better. And then they go golf again and it's hurting. And it, it didn't really click as to why until I started digging deeper into the movement world. So you actually have a dual practice. You have one that's more uh, traditional and then another one that's more based on sports performance. So kind of tell us a little bit how the model and approach differs between one versus the other. Yeah, so I love the sports performance side. So I have one office, the one that I've had, let's see, it's been a little over 10 years that I've had uh, my original practice and I've got a big net set up. I can watch my athletes hit, swing, throw. I, I have a K-Vest, I can hook them up and like, play and dig deep into the kinematic sequence and get super nerdy with it. I love that stuff. Obviously, I get excited talking about it. Um, but I'm still in Los Angeles. There's still a lot of people that need care that are not necessarily athletes. There's a lot of auto accidents here. So I have my other practice, and they're actually pretty close to each other. They're only about three miles away from each other. Uh, so the other one is just more traditional. I don't have a net set up. I can't kick my soccer ball and swing my golf club in between patients. It's not as fun, uh, but I still care about people and I still have plenty of people who uh, want to come see me. And so I have it set up where the, the traditional chiropractic practice, I don't charge quite as much. It's more uh, adjusting minimal modalities. And then the other practices, uh, I just charge a little bit more and it's a little, a little fancier. I tell people a little bit more of the bells and whistles. Now it's funny. Cause I get this question all the time when they'll see, you know, in the course of a day, I'll work with, you know, a regular Joe for lack of a, a, a better term, uh, a, a general uh, fitness client, and then go right into training a pro athlete. And the, the general fitness client will always ask, oh, so like, what's the difference between what you're going to do with them versus what you're going to do with me? And I say, look, the the approach is the same, the philosophy is the same, but the execution is going to be different because you're not going to have to go into the same environment. You're not going to get exposed to the same forces or the same um, stressors that they are, but the approach and philosophy is essentially the same. So is it somewhat similar in, in, in your two practices? Yeah, absolutely. Just because I am have a high-level athlete at my office and I'm doing some kind of movement screen doesn't mean that my patient who sits at a desk all day can't benefit from the same type of assessments. Uh, so yeah, obviously it's not 100% the same, but a lot of the basic stuff works. I, and when I first kind of got into this world, I that's what I was doing. It was like my everyday patient. I would kind of look at, oh, well, how does their, how does their thoracic spine move? How are their hips moving? Um, and it, it was, based on education that was geared towards athletes, but it helps everybody. Now for the lay person, all right, who thinks about going to the chiropractor and they're immediately thinking, you know, crack my back uh, and then be on my way, you know, talk about how your practice is probably a little bit different and, and unique in, in, um, in, in both the sports performance and the, the uh, traditional side. Yeah, and everybody's different. Some people, that's all they want. They want to come in and they want to get adjusted and go on their way, and that's fine. Sometimes I just want to get adjusted and go on my way, so there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but a lot of times there's more to it. If somebody's coming in to see me because they're in pain, uh, yes, I, I think as a chiropractor, I, I think that the adjustment is the most powerful tool that I have. Uh, but that being said, a lot of times there's more to it than that, and I'm really big on getting to the why, uh, figuring out why the pain is there in the first place, what is causing the dysfunction in the first place. 
And as far as what makes my sports performance side different is a lot of my athletes do come to me first because they're in pain, but then we can dig into the fun stuff once we get them out of pain, uh, get to more of the performance side. It's, it's fun when they come in because they're hurting, but then we can do something that maybe helps their efficiency, their their power, their performance. That's that's fun. Get them out of pain, and then not only are they feeling better, but they're playing better. Very cool. So as far as sports go, um, your primary focus seems to be baseball and golf. Why those two? Yeah, well, baseball, I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, and down the road from me were my three cousins who were older boys. So it was like I had three older brothers growing up. If we weren't playing sports, we were watching sports. So big sports fan. And baseball was what we I mean, we were always throwing the baseball. I didn't play baseball. I was a soccer player, but uh, I could watch baseball all day, every day. Go Mets. I'm a big Mets fan. Uh, so baseball, I can I can talk baseball. I, I would love I love talking baseball. I could talk baseball all day. Uh, so it just it's easier for me to. Be, I'm big on being able to speak the language of the athlete. If I get like a like water polo, I don't know anything about water polo. I grew up in New York. There were people were inside a lot more than in Southern California where I am now. So water polo is kind of a whole new world to me. Uh, so I don't speak their language as much. Uh, so baseball's a better fit in that aspect because I know the game really well. And golf, I think, well, I do golf. I'm not a good golfer though. If, if, uh, I would hope, I'm hoping I'm getting better, but I'm not a good golfer. Uh, but I think the golf side is more because I've taken so many classes down in Oceanside at TPI. I'm lucky enough to be, depending on traffic, a little over an hour away from the Titleist Performance Institute. And it's my happy place. I love it there. I love learning there. Uh, so I've taken a lot of the TPI classes. And so I think that's kind of more where the golf comes from. All right. Well, we're kindred spirits with the baseball thing, so we can geek out a little bit about that stuff. So um, something you brought up is important is being able to kind of talk the talk and be able to relate to their their environment, their conditions, the demands, the intricacies of the sport. So kind of tell me about how you're able to to do that and, and what how you continue to kind of hone your craft in, in being able to, to have that language and vernacular that they understand and that they appreciate to almost give you the street cred, so to speak, of when they walk in the door, like, oh, well, okay, she actually gets it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, for me as, as a female, sometimes people don't expect me to know uh, as much about sports as I do. Uh, but it's incredibly helpful for getting that credibility right away. Uh, so one, just understanding like the demands, we'll use baseball, like understanding the demands of a baseball athlete, understanding what preseason looks like, what they're doing in the postseason, like all that stuff it helps tremendously to be able to say, okay, well, uh, what were you doing during this workout or whatever? Um, but then also like I'm a fan of the sport. So if there was a big game the night before or something and they come in and I can say, oh, did you see that catch that they had? Or did you see whatever? People are like, oh, you actually know that happened? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not just pretending. I, I am genuinely a huge sports fan, uh, but it does help. And again, as a female, I think it helps a little extra because I didn't play baseball. Uh, and that was something that I struggled with for a little while, to be honest, because I felt like there were some 
uh, like dads, for example, that would come in and I would make comments about what I saw and the dad would be like, nope, that's not what I, I saw something different on YouTube. And it was, I definitely struggled with it because it's like, well, maybe I, maybe I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I didn't play the sport and it took me a little while of getting really good results uh, to be like, oh, I do know what I'm talking about. That guy's just a jerk and <laughs> saw something on YouTube that was wrong. Uh, so I, I forgot what the original question was. Now I'm going off on a tangent here. <laughs> yeah, no, no um, worries. But you brought up a couple of <laughs> times being a female and then working with male athletes, obviously baseball being a, a male dominant sport and then, you know, golf being, you know, not completely equal and definitely heavier on the male side. Talk about like getting that, that credibility and, and then what kind of barriers you hit being a, a female clinician um, and getting buy-in. And does it take a little bit more that you have to do in terms of kind of earning that trust? Yeah, for me, it did anyway. And I, looking back, I think some of that was just, uh, I was doing that to myself. I was mentally uh, telling myself, well, I didn't play baseball. Maybe I'm not the right one for this. Maybe I'm not good enough. Uh, and like I said, I was getting really good results. So it worked for me. But for a little while, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just I'll focus on something else. If my like auto accident patients love me, I think as a female, they see me. Uh, it's I don't know easier to talk to me sometimes. I'm I'm very like caring and nurturing all the like female stuff. So auto accidents, it's it's more natural. But I don't love treating auto accidents like I love working with my athletes. So I I was struggled with it for a while. It was kind of a back and forth. And then I was like, no, I, I love this stuff. I like, get so excited when I talk about uh, sports and sports performance. It's like, I can't not do this. So kind of just sticking with it and understanding that I, I do know what I'm talking about and it, like kind of talking myself out of that like mentality where I'm not good enough, which think a lot of us do when you start working with professional athletes it's like oh well who am I and it's like oh I, I know what I'm doing uh so yeah it was a struggle for me and it, I think again a lot of it was dads I had all these dads that were their high school boys who just didn't know who I was and now a lot of them are referrals from other people who had great results so that obviously helps too when they get a referral um but yeah isn't it funny the the generally the, the practitioners who are the most talented have the have usually the greatest imposter syndromes hmm. um and it's the shitty ones that are way too confident um <laughs> in their abilities yes it's on youtube so they have a lot of followers so they must know what they're talking about right yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely so um you know as we discuss golf and baseball and and as far as treatment standpoint goes uh pathology wise do you see some overlap? What are the things that you tend to see in both of those those sports? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so with my water polo reference, I could even work with the water polo. It's a lot of the same type of movement. So whatever sport it is, it, it's, but I say rotational sports. I, I speak a lot on rotational sports. Most sports have a rotational component. I don't really think of, know of any that don't. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, a lot of the same stuff. And that even goes with my patients who have desk jobs. I see like the thoracic spine being locked up all the time, causing extra stress on the low back or the hips being locked up, causing extra stress. Uh, so absolutely an overlap. I think for me personally with golf and 
baseball, I'm just able to dig a little bit deeper than some other sports because I I know them well. I, I work with athletes all the time, so I'll see, or I work with those type of athletes all the time, so I see a lot of a lot of common things, but uh, absolutely some overlap. And I, I would say, like for me, looking to the thoracic spine for so many different things, because people sit all day in this hunched over position like way too much even the, some of the really high level athletes they're if they're not training they're like playing video games so much and stuff so uh lots of overlap which helps now speaking of the overlap you mentioned earlier the kinematic sequence you mentioned that you use a k vest to kind of look at that and you know and getting people to understand that the the difference between swinging a baseball bat a golf a golf club um, swinging a lacrosse stick and really cutting and changing directions in any field or court sport is, is essentially the same series of events. So kind of talk a little bit about your interpretation of that kinematic sequence and how it plays out in your practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I miss, does everybody listening? Like, what are your listeners? Do they know what the kinematic sequence? No, nah, let's let's well? assume they let's, uh, let's assume they don't, and let's hear it from your because we've talked about it, but I want to hear it from your lens. Okay, so if I'm teaching a class, uh, I when I bring up the kinematic sequence, I basically say we want to be generating our power from the ground up, and not only so when a baseball player starts their swing, uh, when a golfer starts their swing, we want the lower body to fire first and then we want that to be a very kind of smooth graph if you were to be able to look at it with measuring it uh, so smoothly the lower body is going to get the torso to start and the torso is going to get the upper body and the upper body is going to get the arms and then whatever tool they have bat lacrosse stick golf club uh, should be last and it should be smooth so some people they're hands will fire first. Some people will get their lower body to fire first, but then their hands are second. Uh, some people will have, uh, we say they're like swinging like a door, so, or, so their upper body and arms are kind of all, everything is kind of swinging together versus that coil where you're gonna get that elastic energy, that optimum power efficiency. So that's the kinematic sequence. What was the original question? So like, so, in California here. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so with that, you know, what, what are some of the things you see from your side on the chiropractic side that are the blocks mm -hmm. when someone is inefficient in that sequence? Mm -hmm. uh, so most common, it's just, there's a lack of movement. There's something doesn't move. Something's locked up. Uh, and it, when my, my, job and my goal is to just find out what's not moving how it's supposed to either get it moving how it's supposed to or work around it and then I'll send them to their coach I don't try and be a coach I'm I don't want to be their coach and I don't want to step on any toes so I just want the body moving how it's supposed to be and then it's coach's job to say okay now we're going to train the body to do what it needs to do during the swing or whatever it is uh, so for me I'm just I'm looking at what's moving how it's supposed to, what's not moving how it's supposed to, what the issues that are arising are, whether it's a, an injury or just a performance issue and try and figure out the why. And I just want the body moving how it's supposed to as a chiropractor and then send them back to coach and hopefully communicate with the coach to make sure we're all on the same page to really help the athlete the best way as we can. 
Now we it's it would be way more convenient and, and a lot easier for us if those whys were just one thing. Everybody likes to boil it down and say, oh, well, you just have tight hip flexors or you just have, you know, stiff ankles or a weak core, whatever that means. And but it's never one thing. And you alluded to something earlier that I want to dive a little deeper into and in the concept of regional interdependence. When you talk about something being locked up, if your ankle, your hip, your and there are certain areas that have more tendencies to be locked up based on the whole concept is that there, if there's some area locked up, there's probably some area that's moving too much. So, so talk a little bit about how you factor in for that. So someone comes and says, my hips are stiff, getting them to, to wrap around that and then building a treatment plan around to say, okay, well, there's probably more to it than this. And maybe your hips are actually stiff for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So for those listening, the concept of regional interdependence is basically just because you're feeling pain or there's an issue in one area of the body, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a, there's usually something going on somewhere else in the body and it could be completely seemingly unrelated. So uh, I use the example sometimes where and I, I can't think of who it was, it was a baseball player. It was like Dizzy Dean or something a long time ago. And he it could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the story is like he his career ended because of like a shoulder injury, but really it boiled down to he hurt his toe and he started pitching differently because he had a toe injury, which caused this snowball of changes in his biomechanics, which caused him to uh, have a shoulder injury. And it could be I could be messing up that story a little bit, but it's this doesn't matter. It's that's the there's a, there's actually the, the same story is is uh, Chiming Wong with the Yankees. He was mm -hmm. an 18 game winner who uh, broke his foot rounding a base of all things in a National League game because he wasn't used to it. Had a stress fracture in his foot and was never the same and had nothing but arm problems and other musculoskeletal issues after that and never came back the same. Yeah, yeah, and for me on a personal level, this this is kind of what got me like hooked on all this stuff. So for me, soccer player, I've tore my ACL, my PCL, my MCL, I've just destroyed my knees. My ACL was in college and I just stepped to shoot a soccer ball. I stepped to shoot a soccer ball, my knee went out, ACL torn, missed my junior year of college. And nobody ever looked at anything other than my knee. I I was lucky enough to be a college athlete when I did it. So I had MRI right away, surgery the following week, and I was playing soccer way too soon. I was playing collegiate soccer four months later, which sounds crazy every time I say it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't recommend that uh, now, but I did at the time. I just wanted to get back and I didn't know any different, but nobody ever looked at anything other than my knee. My My strength was there. I didn't have pain and my range of motion was there. Great, go play soccer. Nobody looked at anything else uh, and i'm lucky i didn't get hurt again uh, but years later i'm learning about this stuff and i'm like oh man my ankle on that side doesn't move I, like dorsiflexion on that side was sucked uh, so and i know there's a lot that goes into acl tears but i couldn't help but think man maybe if somebody looked at my ankle or anything else that maybe i wouldn't have torn my acl who there's no way to know but if i can and to help other athletes can just hopefully not have to go through, even if it's one athlete that we fix something that could potentially cause an issue, then I'm happy with that. Uh, but yeah, nobody was looking at any other areas of the body. So uh, with regional interdependence, like it's all connected. It's like, how many patients do we have that were like focusing on the low back pain for so long and wasn't looking at everything else 
and and not just how they move but like are they sleeping and their stress and everything else like it's all connected so yeah <laughs> very important thank you all practitioners all anybody in the movement world uh, has to be familiar with that concept hey everybody a quick break in the action here hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening we're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. When we see these discussions about epidemic levels of injuries and, and whatever it is, pick the sport whether it's, you know, NFL athletes and Achilles, whether it's MLB, uh, uh, all athletes, not just pitchers now with, with UCL injuries, with, with female soccer players, the incredible rise of ACLs and, and how many of the, of, of the um, women qualified for the national team have, have, have blown out their knees in the last year or so. It, why is it not getting fixed when we have so much at our disposal? We have more of us than ever are we failing and i think where we're failing is the lens that we're looking at this through is we as long as we keep looking at it as as a knee or an elbow or an ankle problem we're never going to fix it that if we don't take a step back and say okay there's more to it than just the knee just the elbow just the ankle we're never going to get out of this 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 you know spiraling you know uh epidemic situation with all these injuries yeah no i agree Okay. So let's talk about like traditional chiropractic care. It's, it's, you know, and adjustments and so forth is, is really mobility biased. Right. Um, so beyond that, how do you account for and address the motor control and the stability issues that accompany that? Mm -hmm. uh, I'll say it depends. So some of my patients want the most basic, like they want to come in and this isn't my high level athlete, of course, uh, some come in and they just want, they want quick fixes. They, they don't want to go, they don't want me to send them out and for all this other stuff. Uh, so I might just give some simple exercises in my office. I don't do a ton of that, uh, but I'll give little things that they can do. Um, if it's a higher level athlete, I refer out. I say, this is what you need to work on, whether it's with your own uh, whether whoever it is, if they're working with a strength and conditioning coach, if they're working with a physical therapist or their coaches at school, whatever, um, I'll just say, this is what you need to work on for the motor control. This is what you need to strengthen and work with your coach for that, because that's, that's not necessarily my job. Um, and I'm not as good at that. So I, I like to be the one that finds the things and then says, okay, now this is what you need to fix, but I'm not the one to fix it for you. So that's how I do it. Then everybody's a little bit different, uh, but that's what works for me. And it would be great someday to just have somebody at my office that I can say, okay, now go see this person and this is what you're going to work on. I just don't have that yet. Okay. So before you jump in, Mike, I want to get a little nerdy here. And I, I would actually uh, be curious to your feedback on this Perry I have here's one of my my newer theories and this is why I'm tying it to, to you Lisa in chiropractic we all have clients that come to us and say oh I went to the chiropractor and I have uh my hips are off 
or I went to the chiropractor and I have one leg shorter than the other, right? And they have this leg length discrepancy. Now, the amount of times that someone actually has a structural leg length discrepancy, unless they you know, shatter their leg when it is a kid and it grew back, most of the times it's a functional leg length discrepancy, right? Um, stop me and correct me if I'm wrong at any, any point here. All making sense? So here's what I found. It's something that I, that I learned to check and then I've also learned to address through just doing some simple muscle energy te techniques, like some Leon Chaitao type of muscle energy techniques to fix it. And people are always freaked out. Like, how did you do that? Like, it, it's really nothing all that earth shattering. But here's where, I, where I've got my theory that I've come out of and, and where I've tied a couple things together. Almost every time I've seen that leg length discrepancy and I've started to really pay attention to it, it almost is always in someone who has really poor motor control, i.e. rotary stability or like lower body motor control issues, something like that, where they just really don't exhibit good pelvic control, which is maybe how they got in that place there in the first place. And so what I frame it is they'll say, oh my gosh, my, my, you know, this, my hips are off. And I'll say, well, look, that is not the problem. That is a symptom of the problem. The problem is your lack of pelvic stability. We'll, we'll do this, this technique. It'll even out. If you come back and see me in a week or two after doing the, this, the motor control and stability drills that I gave you and it holds, we know you're starting to get where we need to. But if you come back and you're just as off a week later, we're not moving the needle in your pelvic stability. So agree, disagree, or, or uh, any thoughts, comments, or gripes on, on that whole theory? Uh, I like that theory. I haven't thought about it like that, to be honest, but I'm thinking of all the people who come in and say that, like, oh, I feel like my hips are, and the people that come to mind are all people who 100% <laughs> should be working on that. Um, I'm, I'm going to start nerding out on that too, a little bit of my office to see if I can play around with that and make some changes. Um, but that, that makes, that makes sense. I and mean, so there's people that come in over and over again with the same issues and they, again, the people that are coming to mind, uh, are the people that absolutely need to work on it. They, they sit all day, they don't move people don't want to exercise. They don't understand how important it is. Uh, I tell my patients not to think of exercise as extra work, but to think of it as an essential part of being a human. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to start, start playing with that. I will actually add to that someone who's trained a bunch of uh, individuals that have been considered hypermobile and felt like things were sort of stuck. Um, another thing that I notice is that uh, those individuals tend to stand or sit in a way that they can lock up their hip via a postural position or standing where they just hang out in an extension and that's where they live. Or when they sit, they go into rather, you know, when they hinge, they actually don't really hinge. They actually have like a lateral shift and they just jam up the femoral head and that's how they find stability. So I think a lot of the times what hypermobile athletes tend to do is they tend to stack their joints in different ways to give the sensation of stability but it's just stiffness because what they're doing is mechanically blocking versus actually having a true, uh, putting them in a true environment where stability can happen, which is actually stacking the joints in a way and putting them in an environment where actually shit will start to turn on. So I've noticed that with a lot, a lot, a lot of hypermobile individuals, they, they, they stack or they, they sort of position their joints in a very odd way that, that where they can find stiffness, not stability, but at the same time, they stand, they tend, in my opinion, to, 
to bounce off end ranges a lot. And that's how they find stability by bouncing off of end ridges rather than getting to the point of control. That's just my experience of doing it for a fairly long time. A couple years. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. The body will compensate, right? So to, to bring it full circle is uh, going back to baseball and where we see this. And, you know, I've, uh, I've kind of picked some of this up from, from uh, learning stuff with uh, Eric Cressy is talk because I know he, did, he does a lot of work with PRI and talking about positional breathing, because what you have, what do you have in baseball? You have a sport that you basically stand around a lot, right? In between pitches, pitching changes, all these things, you know, in between hitters, you're especially when you're out in the field, you're standing around a lot. And what do you tend to do? You tend to hang on one hit. And so you just hang on that one side and now you've created this, this, this more of a behavior than it is a, a, a structural or musculoskeletal fault. It's just a behavior. Well, the more you practice that behavior, it more becomes natural and now it becomes natural and, and the body's just going to make principle. adaptations. It's the said it, principle, but people assume that the said principle is a good thing. Said principle could be a bad thing because if you want to get really good at sitting, your body will get really good at sitting. Yeah, it's it's just be and, and movement is just a behavior. It's just no different than you know anything else we do is a behavior. Whatever ticks or, or idiosyncrasies we have in in our own movements, our postures, or our positions that we like to go into, where we find comfort. Like Mike said, I can lean into my joints and find comfort there because it, it's hard to stand up straight all day. And if you're standing up straight for a three and a half hour game, you know that's going to be much more exhausting than if I can go hang on my hip. So it kind of goes full circle where you see this a lot in baseball and, and quite frankly, golf, there's just as much standing around. Yeah. So, um, oops, sorry, I hit the wrong button. All right, so we're gonna change gears a little bit and and talk about sort of this leadership role that you've taken in your field. And, and let's talk about what you'd like to see and uh, where you would like to see uh, the field go, uh, the, the field go and, um, how you can maybe start to change the public perception of chiropractors. Why well, everybody doesn't love their chiropractor? Everybody doesn't love I, chiropractor. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they do. Yeah. So for me, uh, I was involved with the California Chiropractic Association at a local level. And I had people uh, just kind of reaching out to me, suggesting I step up, take on more of a leadership role. And to be honest, I at first wasn't really that interested. I have I have little kids. I'm a mom. I'm running to practice. I'm busy. Um, we're all busy. Uh, but especially with the kids, it's like I, I need to have time to take them to their practices that seem to be every single day of the week and their games on the weekends. And I didn't want to miss out on that. So to be honest, at first, I didn't want to step up into more of a leadership role. Uh, that being said, I was also going up to Sacramento every year, going to our lobby day, and I just saw how important the grassroots efforts are. And so for me, it's kind of like, okay, well, with the right people in leadership, we can move the profession forward. I know there's a lot of, like any profession, there's a lot of crazy, interesting people. Uh, there's interesting ways to practice chiropractic. Um, and so as long as people are like really helping people and they're doing things ethically, then whatever, there's all sorts of different practice styles. I don't, I'm not like, oh, you need to practice a certain way. No, I don't care. Do it ethically, do it right, help people be a good person. Uh, 
that being said, I was like, okay, well, if the right people are in leadership, we can really help move the profession forward. I almost felt like obligated to put my name out there and say, if people think I'm the right person for this job to step up and, and help lead, then I'll do it. It's, it's just kind of, I, I have that part where I just, if I can help, then I'll help. Um, even if it didn't necessarily seem like the right time, it's like having a kid. Is there ever really a good time to have a kid? <laughs> um, so stepped up, ran for the position, was elected president of the California Chiropractic Association and said, all right, I'm going to give everything I have to this uh, while I'm in that role. And when I'm done, I'll focus on, I'm still going to be involved. Um, my I'm immediate past president through the end of the year. Uh, so my time on the board, actually, it's been, I think I've been on the board of directors for four or five years now. So I'll actually be stepping off the board of directors uh, at the end of the year. I'll still be involved just in a different role and I'll focus on some of my own stuff now. So now I'm curious within your community of fellow chiropractors, what is the sentiment or do you have a divide between the the chiropractors may want to just stick to a more traditional role of come in and I adjust and I that's what we do versus ones that are branching out like yourself who are who are a little bit more holistic and a little bit more multidimensional. I mean, we see in, in our world where you have the traditional strength coaches that we give exercises, reps and sets, and then you have ones that venture out a little bit more and be a little bit more adventurous to where you have, you know, on the, on the, on the, you know, far reaches of when you get into the fitness world, you have more fitness trainers that have become life coaches and kind of really stretching the bounds there. Like where do where in that community do you see the sentiment in terms of like what the definition of a chiropractor should be and what's what falls within that scope? Yeah, so say there is absolutely a divide in chiropractic and it's very frustrating because what the research shows is for the most part, we all agree on the same stuff. Like for the most part, we want we want to help people, we want to do things right, we like adjusting's important, uh, all that stuff. But Yes, there are some people who think that chiropractors should only adjust and that's it. And I know there's people there's I know there's people that when I was president weren't happy about it because I do other things and there's rehab stuff and all. I had somebody say to me once um I was talking about one of my major league baseball pitchers that I was treating and he's like, "What did you do? Just stretch him?" And I'm like, "What? You think that's what I do is I just I'm a stretch I stretch people. I'm not adjusting like but just some people think that as chiropractors, we should just adjust. And that's fine. If that's what you want to do, great. But don't knock me for wanting to do a little bit more. So it's it's frustrating. There is definitely th that divide. We would be much stronger if we could all get on the same page and work together, but much stronger together. Uh, one nice thing about the board of directors for the California Chiropractic Association is we all practice very differently. Yet we all respect each other and we all get along and we all appreciate that what I do is a little bit different than what our our current president's an upper cervical doctor. She's helping a ton of people. She's good at what she does. I have no problem with that. Uh, our philosophies are different and that's fine. So if we could all work together, <laughs> we would be stronger together. But this fight's been going on for a long time, so... So speaking of working together, we have a lot of conversations when we have clinicians on talking about the interplay between us and 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 any 
clinician, whether it's PTs, whether it's it's chiros or, or athletic trainers, and understanding not only our scopes, our respective scopes of practice and staying within those boundaries, but also how much we understand each other. And to say like, if, you know, you said you don't have that resource in house as of yet, but let's say, you know, I pack up and move to California and I'm gonna be that guy in the room in terms of, okay, I'm gonna handle this, you handle that. I think it, the only way that's successful is if you really understand to a certain extent what it is I do. And it's not that you're a strength coach, but you need to at least understand and appreciate what I'm doing so we can have a common language and standard operating procedure. And the same goes for me. I'm certainly not the guy that's going to try to adjust anybody. I'm not trained or skilled or, or licensed for that, but I need to at least appreciate what is going to happen if I say, okay, Lisa, you're going to take it from here and understand what it is you're actually doing. So I understand that the the uh, ramifications of what that's going to do and how that fits into the whole model. So talk a little bit about that interplay of how we need to get a better, I think the more we understand each other's fields, the better we both can get. Yeah. And I think for me, just as an athlete, that kind of came natural. And a lot of chiropractors were athletes, which is pretty cool. Just kind of understand the body and how it moves a little bit more and how important things like diet and exercise are. Um, and I agree 100% with everything you just said. But I like to, when I when I speak, I talk about how important it is to uh, work as a team. And I tell people to leave your letters at the door. I don't care what letters are after your name or aren't after your name. Like, who cares? If you are really in this to help the athlete or the patient or the client, whoever it is best, then it doesn't matter. Like, I, the communication should be there. We you you see things differently than I see things. And if we can communicate that in a respectful way, that's what helps the athlete the best. And it's fun because I learn stuff from, from coaches all the time that I didn't think about. It's like, leave the egos at the door, leave the letters at the door and be in it to really help the athlete the best you can. So you mentioned before, I'm going to come back to what you mentioned before, how there's there's some chiropractors who don't venture into the exercise world. Uh, of of backing up what they're doing, their treatment with exercise is how much of that is standing on ground of that's not what I do, that's not my, part of my job role, or some of that is they just don't know. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. Like I said, a lot of the a lot of chiropractors were athletes or are athletes, so I think for those people, they understand how important that stuff is. They just don't do it, but there are plenty who aren't or weren't. I think of uh, just, I get so many athletes who come in because they went to like their primary care physician. They're like, okay, well, I hurt my ankle. He said, stay off it for, it's like the cookie cutter, stay off it for this much. And, and it's like, okay, I'm going to disagree. But I think as an athlete, like, you know that that's not necessarily what's going to help don't move for six weeks like no like it just doesn't make sense uh so i'm sure there's it's a little bit of both um there are plenty who just don't know because they were really never in that position themselves uh but there's plenty who just this is what i do and that's that's my job is to adjust and that's it so and you know, I would think it's a pretty easy lane to open up to really differentiate yourself as a Cairo because 
I can't go without going through all the schooling that you went through, say, I'm going to add chiropractic into my, into my bag of tricks. Like that's, that's a whole lot of investment of time and, and money and energy to do where for you to say, I want to start incorporating more strength and conditioning and exercise. Like the barrier to entry is, is, is minimal. Right. So if you could just, and, and you can learn a ton of stuff and be able to really set yourself apart if just by learning the, the least bit, I mean, if you look at what's out there in our world and the, the, again, a real low bar for entry and real low expectation of what you're going to get, that if you can be at least somewhat, um, you know, practical and sound with your advice, you can add another dimension that completely separates you from any other chiropractor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, so what advice do you have for an aspiring clinician that's coming up? Because it's, it's a different world now with insurance reimbursement and everything that you have to, to fight with there and rising co-pays and so forth. And um, so, so if I'm a young person who wants to maybe be a PT or a Cairo, you know, what advice do you have to them, especially if they want to work in sports and especially if they're female? Yeah, so I tell people, and again, I'm I consider myself a nerd. I love learning. Uh, so I tell people, learn as much as you can. There's so many different techniques, and there's so many different classes. And I feel like some people are like, "Well, I'm a I'm a McKenzie person. I'm a PRI person." And it's like, okay, great. How about you be you? Like, learn as much as you can, and then kind of do what you can do best to help people and you don't have to pinhole yourself into this well this is this is the technique I use uh it's, I feel like for so long it was like I personally I was trying to be like okay well I do TPI like a TPI SFMA like I need to just do this and it's like no I've taken so many other classes they're all just tools in the toolbox and everybody's different so I'll take pieces of each one and put those together sometimes uh so my biggest advice is just learn as much as you can there's so much information out there i mean it, a lot of it costs money a lot of it doesn't podcasts like this you can learn so much from like every time there's like little things that you can learn and grow from and to just take all that and make it your own don't be afraid like trust that you have the knowledge when you've learned so much to make it your own and really help people and try new things like there's nothing wrong with that too. There doesn't need to be this, all this research saying that this works. If you find something in your clinic that works, great. It's, that's okay. Yeah. So a couple of things, Mike, shit, people are expecting to learn stuff. So we better say some smart shit quick. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> never mind uh, forget it like like i said in the boyle podcast when he goes it's always good to, to uh, speak with smart people i'm like all right well i'll see you guys later <laughs> um and but it, it's kind of refreshing and kind of uh, cool to hear what lisa's saying does it sound a little familiar to you though perry yeah exactly yeah. so the, the reason why i say that lisa is because in our live course we actually open up the course early on and we do a, a little fun interactive thing and it's called what's your thing meaning that most of us in this field on the clinical or the, or the performance side, we, we get labeled a pigeonhole as you're the TPI woman, all right? Or Mike's the kettlebell guy, or I'm the FMS guy, whatever it is. And we, we kind of take that on and, and stick to it and stay within that silo. And so what we do in the course is we say, okay, what are you, what's your thing? And we just pick somebody out of the crowd or what's your thing? If someone's going to introduce you, say, I, I, you know, I want you to meet uh, Lisa, she's my chiropractor. She's blank. 
right? What are they going to say after that? And then we're going to say, okay, what is that thing? And then what we do is a fun thing. We have a, a, a Socratic debate where we actually split up the room and we say, okay, we're going to take, you know, if Lisa, you're the TPI person, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have group A is pro TPI. You're going to say all the great stuff you've heard about TPI and all the reasons why TPI is the greatest thing ever. And then group B is going to be anti-TPI and you're going to, you're going to fight and, and argue for why TPI is complete bullshit. And guess which group you're going into, Lisa? You're going into group B, right? Because you're, you're, you're in this bubble and you think everything that Greg Rose says is gospel. So I want you to hear what the other side says, right? And I'm not saying it's not because Greg Rose is somewhat of a messiah, right? But with that, we make you understand I'm gonna, that I'm gonna I'm going to put him in my phone like that. Greg Rose, somewhat <laughs> of a messiah. Job title. <laughs> so, but it makes you understand what's going on outside that bubble. Like when Mike and I started doing research for the movement section of our course, like we went and spent months looking up every FMS hater we could find and find out all the holes they can poke in it to realize, okay, this is what people think. And this is what people say. And this is what we have to acknowledge. And this is what we also have to discriminate and fight against. And so being able to get out of that bubble and realize that if you just think you're that thing, you're really not only pigeonholing, pigeonholing yourself from a, a business standpoint, but you're only going to get, if you're just the kettlebell person, you're just going to only get cult-like kettlebell people coming to you. But also you're, you're really hurting the client or the patient because if you have somebody that could benefit from PRI and you're just you know, steadfast against PRI, well, you're screwing the patient. Right. So that's where, you know, we need to kind of open up our spectrum of what we do a little bit more. Um, and then, you know, tying it all together with your, your leadership stuff. I think what you're doing in practice is as much leadership as anything else. Right. And, and so I applaud you for that. And that they're, they're the, the next female clinician to say, well, look, she's working with MLB players. That's, that's who I want to be. Um, and it's been done. If, if somebody has done it, then they can do it too. And, and people like yourself, people like Sue Falsoni being the, the first athletic trainer on a, on a MLB staff is awesome. Like it just breaks down the bullshit of like, you can't do it to say, well, she did it and she's really, really good at it and she's better than most. So like, why can't the next person do that? And you're starting to see that more and more on training and performance staffs. And so kudos to you on that. But uh, before we wrap up, you know, Mike, you got any final thoughts or, or questions on your end? No, no, this was this was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time today. So uh, before we finish up, tell everybody what projects you're working on now and, and what you have coming up for 2024. Oh, yeah. So I'm finally going to focus on my shit. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've just spread myself so thin and I tried to be everything for everybody and I got a little burned out. It was too much, and I put way too much pressure on myself to to do that. I, I thought I could, and I can't. So I'm going to focus on my family, and my, my kids are getting a lot more involved in their sports. And I'm going to try. I have never really advertised for my businesses. Um, I, I feel like I got to a comfortable spot where uh, growth wasn't, I was comfortable. I didn't necessarily want to grow because I had so much else going on um, but I'm ready now to focus on me and my business and my family and like I said I I'll still always be involved and 
California chiropractic because it's in me. I, I can't not, I've already joined another board of directors. I'm now part of a, what's called clinical compass, which does research for uh, chiropractic. We call it chiropractic. It's best kept secret, but uh, it's pretty much a, a research group. So I'm part of that team now and I'm excited to uh, grow with them and do more for them. Uh, but I'm going to do, I'm going to be selfish for a little bit and kind of focus on, on me and my stuff and my family and my business grow time to grow. Good. Love Good it. for you. Good for you. Maybe you and Mike can talk offline about being psycho <laughs> sports parents. Um, I've, I've already had my run. I've hung up my, my, yeah, my, you, you blazed the trails for us to Gotti. Don't yes. worry. Yes. <laughs> I got, you. I've gotten kicked out of games and done all that, you know, so to lead the way to show you how it can be done. That's why it's great to know jujitsu because most dads <laughs> don't. I'm just saying, man, if you got to choke a dad out, I'm just saying, I usually give me 20 seconds. Noted. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Lisa, for, for taking the time with us. And we want to thank you for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets, as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.